G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Of course, there was some really good news of recent times with the affirmation of the acquittal of the woman whose name is Azia Bibi, the Pakistani woman who was put up on some what people call trumped-up charges of blasphemy in Pakistan. Well, it was good news just recently to have an affirmation of her acquittal. It doesn't mean that the hard things ahead of her in her life are in some ways uh, relieved, although I suppose being off death row could be some relief, but she is certainly still under uh, significant pressure. Let's get a little bit of an update on some of the things that are happening around the world with one of those wonderful organizations that works with the persecuted church around the world, Barnabas Fund. And you'll know that uh, one of our favorite uh, guests, Ashley Saunders, recently took over the CEO position of Barnabas Fund in Australia. Ashley's available at short notice and a special welcome back to 2020 to you, Ashley Saunders. Oh, good morning, Neil. It's great to be with you, although I'm sure many of your listeners were really looking forward to your scheduled guest. Well, I can tell you, you're a pretty good uh, stand-in here, Ashley, so uh, appreciate your time. Let's uh, just quick, a, a little update on Azia Bibi. We have been following her, really, uh, this story as it's unfolded over the most part of the past decade, uh, and there were sort of jubilation calls uh, when she was first acquitted. Then we realised that she wasn't out of hot water yet. Uh, there is a certain uh, new sense of uh, relief with this latest affirmation of her acquittal. Uh, yes, there is. The uh, Supreme Court wasn't obliged to reconsider um, its its uh, acquittal of Asia Bibi, but they did so because of the incredible unrest that was being caused in the community. Uh, your listeners might remember that after she was acquitted, there were that there were demonstrations um, right around different parts of the country and uh, the situation was dire. And uh, so the Supreme Court um, agreed to um, hear some, I guess, invitation to reconsider it. And thankfully, the the justices um, then said, well, we're not going to really revisit it, but we've brought you here so that you can hear that there were good reasons why we acquitted her there was no evidence to support the charges, and uh, and so uh, we're confirming her uh, acquittal. Uh, and so that is good news for Asia Bibi and her family, and we seriously pray that uh, she and her family will find a place of refuge and safety to live the rest of their lives. At the same time, we need to be mindful of the difficult position that other Christians are in um, in Pakistan because of that. Let's talk about other Christians in Pakistan because, you know, if you were a Christian in Pakistan right now, undoubtedly you would feel uneasy having seen what's happened to Asia Bibi. It's a little bit like a, a bubbling cauldron of uh, seething uh, 
uh, unrest against the Christian community because of the Islamic nature of the majority of Pakistan. So Christians in Pakistan, and uh, Ashley Saunders, just to affirm that uh, that this is one of the nations that Barnabas Fund is working hard in uh, with Pakistani Christians. Uh, what are you gleaning from information, intelligence that you're receiving on the ground about how Christians are uh, holding up after all of this pressure following Asia Bibi? The first thing to recognise is that Christians in Pakistan uh, are discriminated against generally. Uh, they're often hungry because they're poor. They're poor because they're discriminated against, and they're discriminated against because they're Christians. So that's the lot of most Christians in Pakistan. On top of the acquittal of Asia Bibi, there is increased, I guess, concern that if any other Christian um, faces blasphemy charges then um, it, it, they're very concerned that if they face those charges, it might automatically be the death sentence. And so basically, discriminated Christians, persecuted Christians are really, um, to say on edge is probably not right, because many of them have a faith that's so much stronger than mine or yours. And yet at the same time, they recognise that their situation here on earth is very vulnerable. Uh, these blasphemy laws, uh, a little bit like anti-discrimination laws against the religion of Islam, uh, these sorts of laws, uh, they are very easy for there to be set-ups. So when you talk about being on edge, and as you say, they've got a tremendous faith, and no doubt when you're living in the circumstances as you do in Pakistan, uh, then you become very aware of what you can say and what you can't say, and you're very careful. But the idea of being set up is very possible given that there are these blasphemy laws. Yes, it is. In the same way that Asia Bibi was set up, and thankfully in her case, the Supreme Court has said, yes, they were trumped up charges. And so it's not just a question of what can be done or what can be said. It's a question of what people can allege you've done in order to get back at you. And so that's what makes the, pl the plight of Christians who are already poor and discriminated against uh, just so much more vulnerable in that country because there's very little you can do when somebody makes up something about you just in order to either get back at you or because they think they're doing the right thing by their own religion. You know, I think there are people who are coming from a secular mindset saying, isn't this the problem with the world that religion has all of these issues with it? Well, this is an example, isn't it, of a nation where one religion is really into the oppression of another religion when it comes to Islam and Christianity in Pakistan. Uh, but for people who would be trying to sit on the fence, uh, secular, trying not to be religious, uh, they're just as much in an oppressed sense uh, in a nation like Pakistan too, because uh, being a fence-sitter makes you just as much an infidel as anybody else, doesn't it? Uh, yes, for example... Uh, in Pakistan, the office of Prime Minister is only available to a Muslim. You need to be a Muslim in order to uh, to be the Prime Minister. Let, let's not forget that Pakistan was uh, the first nation in the world, as I recall, that was established on religious grounds. It was It was separated from India in order to allow Muslims to have their own country. And so that was all done under British rule. And it's also worth remembering that these blasphemy laws were initially introduced by the British in Pakistan. 
Okay, let's talk about the Christians in Pakistan for a few moments and uh, get some insights into how this persecution works because just having a job in Pakistan uh, is not the same as having a job like we might have here in Australia and uh, with certain laws that protect the rights of individuals, a very different situation. How does it look when you are a Christian and uh, you are working for an employer in so many of the different industries in Pakistan? Well, one of the things that uh, Barnabas Fund is actively involved in is releasing Christian brick kiln workers from what is effective slavery. Um, These um, persecuted Christians find themselves in low-paid jobs, and uh, the focus that we've got at the moment is on people who are working in the brick kiln industry, making bricks uh, for their Muslim boss, and uh, it's a very low-paid industry, and on top of that, um, it's just enough to get by. But if there's a sickness in the family or if something else happens and uh, the worker needs money, the only way that that person can get money is from the boss. And so the boss loans the worker some money, which can, because of interest rates and rest, effectively never be repaid, and so that that worker is effectively a slave, a bonded worker, and if the debt is not repaid during that worker's lifetime, it passes on to their children on death. Uh, Now, this is something that we in Australia find so hard to countenance. We find it so foreign to our way of life and to our thinking, and yet this is a reality. And so uh, what Barnabas Fund is able to do is to provide funds to release these workers from those debts. There was a story of one worker late last year who, when told that uh, the debt was going to be repaid, just couldn't stop thanking God, uh, said, I, I had no way of repaying this debt. I really thought that I would die and the debt would pass on to my son and uh, thank the Lord that, uh, that it's been released. And, um, and so, I mean, people in Australia are horrified when we hear that the average debt is around about $2,000 Australia. But that's just a debt that's so high, so unmanageable, and without the generous financial support of people in countries like Australia, uh, these people are then in this bonded situation for life. Well, it is a modern form of slavery, and uh, when you are bonded in such a way, it can't be a comfortable situation. When you do... Uh, are successful in in setting someone free from uh, this form of uh, slavery, Ashley. Uh, Is it an easy thing, or how do they go about finding other worthwhile employment where they might not be under the same sorts of pressures? Is that an easy thing that that, that can happen in in places like Pakistan? Well, there's uh, probably a couple of things I could say. The first thing is that in terms of the process of releasing these people, what is very, very important is to make sure that the debt is repaid in the presence of a lawyer who's able to sign to confirm that it's been paid and to get the receipt as evidence that the debt's been paid. Now, because of the scarcity of employment for poor Christians in Pakistan, they normally stay working for that brick kiln worker, but now at least they're doing it um, because that's um, a choice they make Um, even though there aren't many other choices available to them. So it's not like in sex slavery. It's not like getting them out and finding some other work. It's often staying where they are, but knowing that they're free of the debt and the bond has finished. 
Okay, let's just develop this conversation a little further here, Ashley, because when we talk about issues of religious freedom, this is clearly one way that there is an oppression that comes against Christians. So there's not that religious freedom that we have come to appreciate and understand in Australia, but there are a number of Western nations around the world where there are things that are even in some nations called religious tests and uh, you can't work for an employer unless you pass a religious test. Uh, But these things can be written and they can be unwritten. Uh, Give us some insights into what's happening in other nations around the world with regard to oppression and persecution. Well, in terms of formal tests, I've mentioned that the office of Prime Minister in Pakistan is only available to Muslims. Uh, In the Maldives, for example, only Sunni Muslims are allowed to be members of their parliament. Uh, In communist states, including, uh, I guess, China, um, Eritrea, Vietnam, there are three that I can think of, um, it's a requirement to affirm the government ideology in order to hold public posts and even sometimes to attend university and on it goes. So there are these, these countries around the world where there are official tests about the presence or absence of faith. But in, um, in the West, uh, in places like Australia, we're at risk, I guess, in an informal sense of uh, falling into um, what I would call um, having to pass the test of being an atheistic, secular humanist. Um, can you imagine, for example, um, the, uh, the difficulty that... Um, a, um, an evangelical Christian might have in um, getting some positions in the media. Can you imagine the difficulty in uh, an eminently qualified scientist uh, getting a job uh, as uh, teaching science um, in a um, in a, um, a university? Uh, during the course of uh, last year, was, as we were going around Australia looking at um, religious freedom, we heard stories, uh, for example, from um, a high school science teacher who said that um, he was forced to teach uh, evolution against his beliefs. Uh, we heard from uh, a young female student training to be a school teacher and um, the difficulty that she had um, in, the, uh, in the relevant class on gender ideology when she wanted to maintain that uh, people have been made male and female and that that is her religious conviction. And, uh, and she ended up pulling out of that course uh, because of the, um, the, um, the the comments and how she felt she was being discriminated. So there's informal tests in Australia, and yet, you know, it's 300 years ago that the first formal, what you might call a test act, was repealed in Britain. So in 1719, it was a watershed moment in history, and it ushered in this era of religious liberty throughout the Western world that people no longer had to subscribe to a particular religious view in order to hold significant posts uh, in the community. And, uh, and so uh, we, I guess, we need at this pivotal time, 300 years since that event, we need to stand up and say whether it's formal or whether it's informal, it is not, a, not appropriate in a country like Australia for someone to have to affirm or deny a particular religion or a particular set of beliefs in order to go to university, in order to get certain jobs. Um, This is fundamentally important. 
and we need to ensure that we don't give in, give in too easily to the pressure that's here in Australia. Uh, the interesting thing is uh, we can feel like we have not much control over that because as there's a deepening divide between perhaps what you'd call conservative and uh, progressive uh, socialist values that somehow or other there's a antagonism that develops and uh, and in some ways uh, whether it's religious or political ideologically driven uh, you've got all sorts of divides that could actually intensify this idea of an unwritten uh, de facto type of a test that could be even in, uh, embedding itself in Australian society. Uh, yes that's right um and uh, one of our international directors has written a book called um, The New Civic Religion, in which he argues that as a result of a concerted um, effort, a concerted campaign that's commonly called cultural Marxism, that, um, that this, this pressure has been brought to apply, and so that basically the de facto new civic religion uh, is secular humanism or atheistic secular humanism, that... This agenda involves firstly questioning uh, the norms and values of the Christian society, that you then argue that um, the, the other norms and values of a replacement society are equally valid, that you then, in a sense, do one-upmanship that, that um, basically the new norms are better. And so Christians, for example... Um, in the last couple of years in Australia have been referred to as haters coming out from under rocks, uh, people walking with their, with their uh, knuckles on the ground, um, on the wrong side of history. These are all the sorts of things that have been said by thought influences in Australia. So that somehow or other being a biblical Christian is somehow disadvantageous, it's somehow backward or dangerous and then the fourth step is you then try to make the previous norms uh, illegal. And, um, and that's the, that's the four-step process that is used by those who are wanting to overturn. And the reason I guess it's called cultural Marxism is because it takes that Marxist approach that there is a group of people who are the oppressors, there are a group of people who they oppress, and that the revolution is about the oppressed people Overtaking, And so in the, the common narrative in Australia today, conservative, biblical, Bible-believing Christians, uh, especially Christian men, are seen as the oppressors who, uh, who have foisted all this horrible stuff on society. And instead of seeing that there has been value in the Christian roots to society, it's almost like we're now the oppressed people and we've got to overturn that. We've got to... Uh, we, we've got to um, make sure that they are now oppressed. And so that's the, that's the agenda um, that's been followed in a number of countries um, as political Marxism, and uh, it's a similar sort of agenda that's been happening in the West with what we call cultural Marxism. And uh, very hard to fight against. And your best weapons, your best response, Ashley Saunders, is to uh, continue to be Christ-like, uh, to walk in the Spirit, to be a person who uh, walks above the fray and above the, uh, the very two-dimensional secularism and actually walk in the three dimensions that we're called to walk in, uh, walking according uh, to Jesus 
Jesus Christ, uh, a powerful yes. way to walk. Ashley, we have run out of time, but uh, just appreciate you. And in your new role at Barnabas Fund, the CEO, you're doing a lot of travelling. You're speaking to audiences everywhere. You're bringing these really tremendous insights. I wonder uh, what will people see when they visit your website, BarnabasFund.org. Is there a way they can contact you, or connect with you, or partner with you? What's the What's the deal with visiting the website? Uh, yes, they can visit the website. They can glean information. They can see some of the causes. There, uh, there are contact buttons, and uh, if they're moved to give, then there's a donate button as well. And so I'd encourage people to check that website out and to connect in whatever way they feel led. Well, as I often say, there are some wonderful organisations that work with the support of persecuted believers around the world. The Barnabas Fund working in 60 countries around the world. Ashley Saunders, uh, you're a treasure and uh, no doubt with you at the helm, uh, there'll be a lot of people at Barnabas Fund celebrating because you're such a wonderful spokesperson. I really appreciate your insights today, an update on Asia Bibi and those insights about Pakistan and uh, those bonded workers uh, working as slaves really, and how they are enslaved in their workplace. Tremendous insights. Uh, God's richest blessing on you, and thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today on 2020. Uh, it's been great to be with you again, and good, uh, good morning to your listeners. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.